to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. Rita Hayworth used to say, they go to bed with Gilda, they wake up with me. Who was Gilda? Her most famous part. Men went to bed with the dream and they didn't like it when they woke up with reality. You feel that way? You are lovelier this morning than you have ever been. In this episode, we're talking about Roger Michelle's Notting Hill from the year 1999. Written by Richard Curtis and hotly anticipated after the monster smash Hugh Grant star vehicle that was four weddings and a funeral five years before, at the turn of the millennium, Notting Hill became the highest grossing British film of all time. The Pandora's box for opening tonight belongs to Anna, played by Julia Roberts, and William, played by Hugh Grant. The relationship between these two is quite interesting in that it's essentially Anna, who's a A-list Hollywood actor, and William, who I suppose is the Richard Curtis idea of a nobody. Um, <laughs> this being Richard Curtis in the 90s, Hugh Grant, of course, was nobody. And... I remember when the film was being marketed, there was a lot of talk about this is kind of the fantasy of a lot of people in that average Joe met their Hollywood icon and fell in love and had a relationship. And 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 the fact that he's written this and, and made a film and there's various, the usual kind of pitfalls and hurdles throughout. And, and I suppose in that kind of late 90s Richard Curtis way, having Hugh Grant do this was probably... It's difficult to see this story now working in any other way. The, the way, the sort of slightly pre-internet era, I suppose the late 90s when these things weren't really common, there weren't so many mobile phones, and the way that you can be oblivious to, and, and the way that Anna is described in the film as you know, one of the la- biggest stars in Hollywood. And because Will doesn't read Hello! magazine, he's not a- aware of her relationships and the stuff that gets put in gossip magazines. But um, growing up as as a female I mean I can easily say it from my point of view because you know you always watch tv or top of the pops or neighbors or, or films and you think oh god you know imagine what it must be like to be married to her or go out with her I mean mm. would, would that the sort of thing that would work quite easily the other way around oh yeah I think that it's a really interesting film when you look at it from the context of uh, 1999, which would have been the year before the first Big Brother, and there's something about uh, the values that it portrays in it through Hugh Grant's character and Julia Roberts's character, where he seems to be very much kind of driven by this idea of stardom being your br- a brush with stardom being one of the biggest things that can happen to you. So even if you're someone like William Thacker, who Hugh Grant is playing, who, as you say, doesn't necessarily read gossip columns, isn't, I don't think he sort of seems to be massively into the kind of films that Anna is in. He still regards meeting a huge celebrity as being, well, as he says, surreal but nice. He talks a lot in the film about how strange it is to be around this person. I think that there's something about this moment in time, particularly, as you say, when you're watching it, when when you were young, when you're a teenager, that, that, that those values really rub off on you where you think, okay, 
this is something to aspire to. No matter, you know, it doesn't matter exactly what you're famous for, but you should aspire to either be famous or you should aspire to meet someone famous. You see these stars and you see them at their most glamorous and you kind of, there is that kind of fantasy that you wish, whether it's you wish you were in a relationship or you wish you were Han Solo or you wish you were James Bond or, or something like that. You, you wish you were this idea of a hero or this kind of Superman. But you do wonder as well, there is that part of the human psyche where you think about how would you react to someone who is that big a star? You know, a lot of people have met famous people in various ways and some people are really cool. Some people completely clam up and they don't know what to do. Um, yeah. And, you know, in, in this, it kind of takes it that little bit further because from the, the time she comes into his bookshop and buys a book and then there's the kind of thing about spilling the orange juice and going back and it's just very strange to see how that would work. And I guess, you know, he's, he's done it this way, but the kind of imbalance there because I don't think at one point he mentions, you know, he's like he's a mere mortal and she's a goddess. Yeah. Um, it could be in any walk of life but there's there'll always be celebrities there'll always be people who aren't celebrities and, and how they they're almost like how do they're almost like two different species in a way and I think that that's kind of conveyed certainly in the earlier part of their relationship where she's clearly very confident and comfortable around around the movie junket yeah uh, when she's in the Ritz and she's almost hosting him and he's sitting there I mean obviously it helps that he's having to answer these ask these questions based on if he works for horse and hound but it's um <laughs> she just looks so self-assured and he's like almost like sort of caught in the headlights well you would be wouldn't you well, of course there's a few things revisiting it now that i'm a bit older which is that the uh, this idea of the power of fame i think translates better when you're watching this film when you're a young person but now that i'm about the age that William is meant to be in this film. I did think, I kept thinking, well, why do you keep mentioning her fame to her? Like, why aren't you a bit cooler with this? Like, I can see that you get that you get a bit starstruck by someone um, in the first instance. But then if you're, you know, if you're dating them and you're in a relationship with them, you should, you know, it, it feels, it, it felt stranger to me that someone that his, his age was kind of incapable of getting past that kind of teenager kissing a poster at night kind of view of her if that makes sense you did that too <laughs> I mean I don't know what do you think like the bit where he you you know you, you come to them after they've spent the night together and he says something like it seems surreal that I'm allowed to see you naked I mean did that the lines like that jar with you I, I think it's I think what the interesting thing about it would be probably the circumstance in how how you would meet I mean you know maybe this was a kind of thing of the era where people in rom-coms owned bookshops or were or there was an involvement in bookshops I don't know, whereas you've got mail or when Harry met Sally and you know scenes and that took place in bookshops but it's um I suppose once you get past that and that is the the meet cute part of it is I suppose that there probably would be a logistic side of things and especially you know that's where it would be more relevant now I think where in 1999 perhaps Anna Scott Julia Roberts might be able to walk through Notting Hill maybe without being recognized but now everyone's got a camera phone everyone's on 
Snapchat or TikTok or whatever young people use, it's a bit harder to be anonymous, I suppose, from a logistic point of view. But then I think if you're in that situation, you know, once you've had that meeting, once you're in a, a relationship of whatever kind of stature it is, it's more just how do you deal with practicalities, perhaps, although, yeah, you know, like you said, he he makes perhaps a bit more of a deal about it. And at the end, when she says the line, you know, the fame thing isn't real. Yeah. She's kind of telling him in that, that whole famous way she does. At the end of the day, they're just people. Just because people go and see her films doesn't make her ineligible to be a human being. Yeah, completely. And you wonder as well about the whole thing about actors being in couples together because perhaps that's what they're used to or they how they deal with it I don't know but um you know maybe there is that thing where she seems to value him for being him whereas for him there's always that kind of caveat that she's a one of the most famous people in the world and can he deal with that and it's more about his issues yeah well there's a he she seem he seems to value her the thing that he seems mainly preoccupied is her fame and that's what they talk about a lot and then she seems to I I was sort of wondering what what it is that she values him for this time around because sometimes as the as the as you watch the relationship unfold you kind of think is is it the fact that she does have this power over him because she keeps putting him in situations that are quite humiliating you know like one thing that I thought when I was watching it this time was I thought how would this film feel if the genders were swapped? And if you think about the narrative between them, if if she'd been a guy, particularly now, you know, when we think a lot about kind of people in power and the influence they have, it starts to look a bit kind of, it starts to feel a bit darker, you know, the whole thing of her boyfriend being in the hotel room and sort of her pretending that Hugh Grant's character is, you know, one of the staff and he has to clear up his rubbish and, putting him in that in that um you know, uh, press junket thing and not and not kind of throwing him a <laughs> not throwing him a life jacket you know not sort of saying to her to her PA that's my friend you know can you just put him in another room to wait for me or anything there's a quite a few instances in the film in their relationship where he's quite humiliated and it feels like she's maybe not quite conscious of that and I was thinking if she were a guy in the film would, would everyone be feeling that a bit more? I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I definitely think so. I think, you know, by, by the time we get towards the end of the film and when he goes to see her up at Hampstead Heath and because he's had his heart broken at this point at least twice, three times, every single thing that she says to that guy that he hears from the microphone builds a barrier. He kind of goes into this self-defence mode where yeah. by the time she turns up at his bookshelf, uh, bookshelf, bookshop with the painting and that speech, he's so resistant because he knows or past experience shows that it's going to happen again. She's not learning. This sounds awful. Not learning from what's gone on previously, but he's having to be this kind of cold to protect himself. Yes. Yeah. Bear in mind, we've already heard that he's divorced and his wife left him for someone who looked like Harrison Ford which yes exactly no that's such a good point most people totally and and I think it's it's difficult because you kind of then think has he just stuck with it because it's Anna Scott 
like you said, the scene with with Alec Baldwin where he has to pretend to be the the butler or the whatever. It's, I mean, that would be horrible anyway. And like you said, if the roles were reversed, yeah. you know, there would be an element that would be dark and and pleasant and bordering into that whole Me Too kind of thing. Exactly. Where, exactly. Whereas this way round, he's kind of accepted that oh it's you grant well plucky you you know and <laughs> there's part of me that kind of thinks if, if julia roberts turned up at my place of work with a painting of a violin playing goat and asked me out you know probably wouldn't be that averse to that but i think by the time after all that he's gone through yeah maybe it is i'm in my 40s now and you kind of think like i don't really blame him at all there's that part of me that thinks yeah you, you daft prick but there's the other half that thinks he's probably right to think safety first well yeah and i i think that it feels as if she's driving him into it over the course of this year if that's if it's meant to be about a year this relationship that we're watching in this film it feels as if she's driving him through these series of incidences into a kind of a depression like he he, you know, when she's away, he meets the perfect girl, played by Emily Mortimer. You know, and she's and she's lovely and and everything. And you think, and you know, and you know, he kind of says to his friends, "She's she's perfect," but you know, I don't want to go out with her. And you and when I was watching it this time, I thought he feels like a man who's depressed. He hasn't spent that much time with Anna Scott. I can understand how he might be preoccupied by the idea of her. But someone then opting out of, you know, having, you know, having fun with other people and sort of exploring their options and things. It just it felt this time like he was she was just making him feel really, really low and feel bad about himself and like he didn't want to date other people. I don't know. It like it's interesting. It didn't feel like she had a very sort of sunny effect on his life. I, I think it's almost like I'm Anna Scott, you should be grateful. In some yeah. ways, I don't know. I mean, the, the fact that they end up together in the film and everything, she's quite keen, the whole press conference where he turns up and this whole big ending and basically pivots her whole career to sign and say, well, I'm going back to LA now. And then as soon as he turns up, pleads to get her back, all of a sudden she's like, no, I'm staying here indefinitely. Yeah, you kind of wonder then about she, she's obviously developed perhaps that affection where she feels like she she wants needs loves however she puts it in that box but she's obviously gambling a lot on this and you wonder again is she in a position to do that is was everything so it's just strange I, I find haven't they only had like three dates <laughs> something like that yeah, yeah big commitment I mean that that's the thing you think how many people have you met where after maybe you know what did they do they they see a film they go to his sister's birthday they go and have a meal and she comes and stays the night with him when she's escaping the press and that's it and you think you know it's quite rare that you'd meet someone and you'd completely you'd completely put everything everything into into that particularly when you see them as well they're, they're quite often talk, talking they do have a conversation about his marriage don't they over over the meal but a lot of the time it's about the fame and it doesn't seem to be that much about their shared interests. I, I just find 
their three dates or however many there are, but there's also these huge issues in between. You know, again, the first one is Alec Baldwin. Yeah. And then the the paparazzi where where she comes to stay over and and there's Reese fans kind of comes into his own. <laughs> you know, there's this whole thing as well, which again, it's hard to think. At no point is Hugh Grant or Will to to blame for that. And obviously, Spike's got a slightly loose mouth. But then, but she didn't clear it with them, did she? No. No, there's no malice in yeah. what she did. And I, I think even then, I always thought her reaction was somewhat overplayed. And and when we were talking about this before. And there's the the quote, which probably wouldn't work now because an age where everything's in your palm, on the watch, on your TV in an instant. And he's talking, he says, today's newspapers will be lining tomorrow's waste paper bin. Excuse me? Well, you know, it's just one day. Today's papers all have been thrown away tomorrow. You really don't get it. This story gets filed. Every time anyone writes anything about me, they'll dig up these photos. Newspapers last forever. I'll regret this forever. Right. Fine. I'll we'll do the opposite if it's right by you. And always be glad you came. You know, that, that wouldn't happen now. <laughs> and maybe how that would work would be slightly different because of social media and, I don't know, probably be on a website where you've got a paywall or a Patreon or something like that. But it's yeah. um, it's still, he gets thrown under the bus. You know, mm. she goes there for refuge and they have this lovely, you know, tender moment where breakfast in bed and they're talking and it just feels like and he references later, you know, her foul temper. Yeah. But um it's all on her terms. And and I find it like even watching it then and, and even more so now that I don't know. But then, you know, from, from another point of view, maybe he should have been a bit more taken charge when he opened the door and saw the cameras and he kind of stood back a little bit in what yeah, you Yeah, that's a bit weird, isn't it? it. <laughs> He's yeah. like, oh, no, don't open the door. I'd stand in front of it, lock it, shout, don't fucking go near the door. about the gender role slightly but I mean some of the things that they talk about the whole thing about how he's in a kind of depression in a way and and the way that we have the Al Green montage and the Bill mm. Withers montage you know that it's like a, an 80s action movie but over the course of the film she then seems to lose her confidence yeah in a way that do you find that that mirrors he's clearly <laughs> some kind of existential crisis throughout and then she has also changed. I mean, is that something that you feel is a basis for a good, well, they get married at the end, so a good, good marriage? No, I don't. And I think that there's a, there's a hint that in that press conference at the end that they, you know, they say, what do you think of Jeff, uh, that the, the rumours around Jeff and his new leading lady. So there's a slight implication that Alec Baldwin's character has left her maybe for another woman. 
And when you put it together with the thing earlier on of, of her not wanting to upset her boyfriend, so she gets, you know, Hugh Grant to pretend to be, Hugh Grant's character to pretend to be, you know, staff at the hotel, you think, you think, is she, is she kind of reeling from, from that happening as well, you know, is 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 there a, is there kind of something going on in the background? Has has something happened to her basically that happened that similar to William when he got left by his wife as a man who looked like Harrison Ford? You know, you think are these two people actually coming together out of out of places of insecurity rather than because they are able to build something solid together out of kind of you know mutual respect I mean what do you think she sees in William like what's William bringing to her life I think there is that element of normality that almost the inverse of he seems to be so interested in her lifestyle because it's so different and I think and albeit of course everyone in London lives in Notting Hill where they've got these enclosed parks and huge giant houses and and that completely ridiculous but I, I think there's something that she sees in his life that she can't have or maybe struggles to or wouldn't be able to adjust to in a normal way yeah. and and I think there is that element that he has dinner parties with groups of friends and he can be this anonymous guy I mean if if we were really talking about average Joe he'd live in the home counties with four kids and have a Ford Focus and fall asleep at eight o'clock drinking a couple of cans of Stella but it's um <laughs> and of course this that would be a weird film as well but it's um <laughs> but it seems to be that's what she she is looking for in that maybe she is ready to kind of step away from Hollywood like we see at the end she's so quick to kind of go oh indefinitely staying here and here you know she's lusting over the kind of park bench in the closed park and the idea of breakfast in bed and being on his rooftop and stuff and I think that that seems to be part of it maybe maybe she is fed up of being rich and famous yeah weird way of doing it but I suppose maybe it is like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka or something I don't know but I suppose seeing the flip side of the fantasy put myself in in that boat I mean I can imagine if Kylie was in that boat you know what would she see in me you know, but it, it would be like th- there must be a reason, and Anna Scott seems keen to get away from it a bit. I think, um, and that's kind of hinted at throughout. Although when you talked about earlier, I think one of the questions we talked about asking here was, would they seem happier with other people? I mean, we, we've already said that Emily Mortimer's character and that he described as perfect. I mean, do you think Anna would find? more comfort or less drama with someone else perhaps someone with less baggage I, I well that's the thing I think the way that she's she's written is quite enigmatic you're not given that much about about Anna like in that first scene I noticed this time how she does just answer questions when he's asking her you know what she wants to drink and things she's in, incredibly quiet and then when they go to the dinner party, she, again, you know, is, is doesn't really sort of, you, you know, you don't have it kind of coming in on her kind of telling an entertaining anecdote at any point or anything like that. It's all quite often sort of answering other people's questions. You know, you have Hugh Bonneville's character sort of, you know, bumbling about kind of 
bad wages of actors and things. And she's just very politely, but in a quite clipped way, answering questions. She's been perfectly pleasant, but she's not really initiating that much. And then when she goes to stay with um with Spike and William, she's a, she's more relaxed, and you see her feeling more like a a fully fleshed out character then. But at the end of the film, I, I'm still not absolutely sure what what you know who who she is, what what her what her little idiosyncrasies are, you know, what her interests might might be. Um, it's it's almost as if she is playing out a, 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 the fantasy idea of a famous person from a from Richard Curtis's mind, rather than him acknowledging the line where she says the fame thing isn't real, and she's right, the fame thing isn't real. If you go out with a famous person, they'll have stuff about their lives that will be a part of that, but also they'll just be they'll be just as annoying and just as you know endearing as as anyone else. So it's strange by the end of it when he's sort of saying would it be a you know if if he admitted that he'd been a total prick and he got down on his knees and begged you to reconsider you kind of think this this whole thing is sort of playing out with us very much needing to um accept this idea that a famous person is always going to be kind of better on some level than a than a normal person but we're not really told exactly why that is if you see what i mean I mean yeah. that that scene in the bookshop at the end, where she's begging Will to to give her another shot, and again, like like I mentioned earlier, you know, he's now in this self defense mode. He's very much back in his shell, protecting himself. I mean, he does. I, I wrote down he sticks the knife in a little bit. I think perhaps understandably you know yeah. he's been hurt by her on, on a number of occasions plus whatever's gone on before he's standing up for himself yeah I mean yeah. perhaps one might expect Hugh Grant to be slightly more chivalrous but I think at this point you know she just turns up with a big painting um is it the line the about the temper that you think isn't chivalrous is that what you think isn't chivalrous it's, I mean there is a little bit of that I think you know he could you know when he said could I politely decline your kind offer I think it was um and then he goes in a little bit afterwards which seems slightly unnecessary but yeah but I think we're at that point then where you kind of think fair play just just leave it but then it's only because one of his friends does query is that the original painting yeah and then Spike calls him a daft prick Mm. that seems to sway him I mean, I, I I have a real, that's the thing, I have a real problem with that in that you think basically what you're being told here is that because she's giving you the original painting, that means that she, that does mean that she's, that she loves you in a profound way. And there's something about these expensive gestures in films that I really don't like because it is basically saying the more money someone has to spend on you, the more they love you. And you think, you know, Lots of people out there that wouldn't be able to get an original Chagall. That doesn't mean that they love you less than Anna Scott does. So, and again, I think if the genders were swapped there, you'd be thinking he's just basically kind of bought his way into that woman's life. But because it's Hugh Grant, and because we're you know suspending all of that, we're meant to we're meant to be swung by this very expensive gesture. You know, it's mm. funny. It's it's funny. The wealth thing is interesting because when it's aristocracy or where or if it's um other lines of 
work or maybe even in politics and things, people people are much more wary of kind of valuing people on the basis of wealth and privilege. But when it's celebrity, we have no problem with doing that. We go, yeah, celebrities are better than everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I would be impressed if someone maybe bought him the original picture of the dogs playing cards or something like that. I mean, that would be kind of my <laughs> level of art. But like you say, that there is it's almost like the acceptable face of this because it's this way round with the genders. Yeah. Um, and it gets talked about in you know in films and books and literature from from everywhere about this background where you've got money you can do what you want yeah and who knows how much that painting would have cost but it is like I've made this gesture Mm. then she's already talked about my last movie I made 15 million dollars yeah and he and he's struggling to afford a cup of coffee yeah and his friend's restaurant has gone past yeah exactly there is a little bit of that which I guess I think when you look at it now in, in 2021 that might be viewed slightly differently and perhaps people might be a bit more sensitive to that kind of thing. But um, I don't know. I mean, there's still enough there. And I think think about where, at the point that the film was made, this is Julia Roberts, you know, she's had the whole of the 90s where she kind of burst onto the scene in Pretty Woman and had probably was the most famous actress in Hollywood at the time. And, and Hugh Grant, again, like he had, done a few years earlier falling in love with an American girl coming to visit London but um <laughs> it is there is that kind of side to the film I think when we've talked on on other episodes about who holds the cards who has the power well the th- the thing is this this one this one is tricky because I think that Anna doesn't give William much of a choice it's it kind of remind rem- reminds me of when I when I first moved to London, I had to go and meet someone who works works in the media, shall we say, for, for a drink. And this would have been when, you know, I would have been using an A to Z rather than using my phone to find out where everything was, you know, and didn't know where anything was in London. And I had to go and meet them for a drink at a private members club in Soho. And I didn't know that at the front, you don't have the name of it, you know. I didn't know anything like that and I didn't know where it was and I had to by the time I got there and I figured out that it was this place that didn't have you know the name above it and by the time I'd sort of figured out that you had to go to a desk and you had to ask for the person by the time I got to the place and into it you're feeling kind of nervous and you know sweaty and like you have no power at all and it's all just and it's not to do with you know your character or or um the interaction with the person that you're meeting it's just that you know stark knowledge of the fact that that person is of a higher status than you and because of these incidences in in the film with the press junket and with the hotel room at the ritz and then with the with the other things that happened later on i think that she doesn't give william a fighting chance to feel like he has any cards whatsoever really so I think that Anna definitely holds the cards what do you think <laughs> um, I, I, I agree 95% of the way I think um, again she has both status and influence over him and I think he's clearly vulnerable from what's gone on in his past there is some peer pressure as well you know always oh, brought a girl stranger things have happened that sort of thing and I think the only time he does have that power 
of any kind is when she's literally in his shop begging him, you know, mm. I'm just a girl, etc. And he says no. And then within five minutes, it's like, oh, no, I've made a terrible mistake. Mm. Because that one time he stands up for himself, looking out for his own interests to protect himself. And he's convinced by his friends quite easily that, that it's Anna Scott. You can't say no to Anna Scott. And immediately reminded of his place in the world. Yeah. yeah. And that he has to then go to this press conference and suddenly develop confidence to basically have a passive aggressive argument in front of a load of what the spitting image think that some journalists were but it's um <laughs> it uh, th- there is that kind of side of it where I think he had one tiny bit that eroded very quickly yeah um and perhaps further down the line that we don't see that maybe influence kicked in and that they stayed near him you know they didn't move to LA or at least initially you know they got married in one of these closed gardens because I assume she bought a big house there but, yeah um they stayed in Notting Hill and yeah, that that's kind of maybe a concession that she's made but it probably is a concession rather than him having real influence yes completely I've I've always I've always felt that it should probably I mean I understand that they need to do a big rom-com ending but I really hate that final, final ending between them. At the him, him begging her at the at the press conference. You know, I don't know. I think it. I think it sends a strange, strange message to people about how they should be valuing themselves. Because most of the time, when normal people do get involved with huge celebrities, they do end up not with them for the rest of their lives, and they have to live with that, and they have to have self esteem, and they have to kind of you know pick themselves back up again. It'd be nice if you had something in the film telling you that if if you know if it hadn't have worked out for William, that William could be okay, you know. So he wouldn't just crumble and I don't know, wither away. <laughs> Sleep on his friend's sofa and worry about a masturbating Welshman. Yeah, exactly. It's it's funny some of these things I was thinking it requires you to be it's quite a childlike view, I think, of celebrity, the whole film. I um I heard an interview with Graham Norton. He said something really interesting about doing his chat show where he, I think Chris Evans asked him whether he was starstruck by the people that come on, come on to it. And he said that, you know, you get some incredibly famous people on there. So initially you can quite often, you know, be quite starstruck. You have a moment of thinking, oh, wow, it's quite strange to meet this person in real life or I might be a fan of their stuff. But that actually diminishes quite quickly when you're in a situation where you need them to deliver in a conversation as part of your job so they quite quickly stop being someone who he's in awe of and famous and he just desperately wants them to be entertaining and articulate and if they're not they suddenly become a very ordinary person in his eyes because he just thinks oh you know you're just quite a dull person actually and you're not really being particularly entertaining or witty and I thought that was really interesting actually I thought actually if your job is something like is to be someone like Graham Norton where you just you just need people to be entertaining and it doesn't actually that they could be you could be a superstar but you can still actually be quite boring that's the thing in this film I don't think it explores something like that very effectively it just tells you that if you're famous you are inherently interesting you know? well maybe they'd have gone into that in the uh, the three and a half hour original cut of this film 
<laughs> yeah. Do we have any honourable mentions for other good relationships? I think the, the weird part of this film is that the the character of Spike became such a popular feature of the film. Uh, I mean, he, he doesn't have a lot of screen time. Most of his interactions are with Will, you know, being being flatmates. Um, he comes away. Yes, he he made a a faux pas in telling where the paparazzi are, and he seems like the, an awful person to live with. But he does have a good heart. I, I mean, that surely is, I suppose is the definition of kind of stealing the show a little bit. <laughs> Completely. There's something wrong with this yogurt. It's not yogurt. It's mayonnaise. All oh, right, there we are then. On for a video fest tonight. I got some absolute classics. It's st- it is an absolutely move- movie stealing performance. But I also do think uh, the relationship between Bella and Max is quite an important one to have in the film because something about Tim McInerney in particular, who I think is a really tender actor when, you know, there's something about the love between them that you really do feel. And and I think after I watch Notting Hill, it's actually their relationship that I kind of feel like I want to be a part of. It's not really Anna and Williams, I think. They mm. they look like, you know, they look like the people that are really there for each other and they look like the, the couple that's going to last. Yeah, I think the part where, you know, they're all bundling into the car to go off to the press conference and he I, I mean they do ham up her wheelchair use a little bit but yeah. the fact that he's insistent on her coming got you know a fairly big car but everyone wants to be part of it uh, there is that kind of side where you know it's like if I'm going to be doing you know and he's obviously looking you know the whole James Bond doesn't have to put up with this shit this is his hero moment and he wants his wife to be privy to it yeah this is their adventure and to be honest from their point of view it'd be more fun if they're both there and if they're both involved so yeah I I mean again she's I assume a barrister of some kind and he works somewhere where he has to wear stripy shirts and expensive ties but um you know just like everyone else in London of course Um, (laughs) yeah completely and they're the ones during uh the dinner party earlier on when it's honey's birthday they're they're the ones who are the most, you know, who are the most balanced, I think, about Anna being there. They don't freak out too much, you know, they're quite, because I do, when I was watching it this time, I think, you're all, you're all quite well-to-do people living in London. Are we really meant to be- believe that none of you have ever met a really famous person before? Because I don't buy that, you know. Most people will have seen a singer or someone from a, a TV show in a coffee shop or something, or, you know, walking their dog or that kind of thing. It's, you know, and again, it depends on, depends on your definition of fame. I mean, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people could see a famous footballer and not bat an eyelid because they don't follow football. Some people would see Anna Scott because they don't watch those kind of films. Yeah. And, you know, wouldn't say boo to a goose because it's not relevant. It's just, I suppose, depends on the, the, the media and the, you know, the medium, how it comes out. But, you know, I, I think it is quite telling, a lot of these scenes, but... It was an interesting one. I'm, I'm glad we fleshed that out. And, uh, you know, th- this was a, a large agree, certainly on the, in the power stakes anyway. Yeah, well, I'm going to try and arrange for Kylie to pay you a visit because I can't wait to see how this one plays out. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't know if she she turns up at my place of work. It'll be a sorry, strange scenes. I'm sure she'll. I'm sure she'll get on very well with Woody the dog. She would, yeah. But I mean, yeah. then we'll we'll go back to her hotel, and Jason Donovan will will come out, and I'll have to pretend to be room service, and <laughs> very weird. Oh, I'm sure Jason Donovan would appreciate the gig. <laughs> oh, that'd be a brilliant anecdote. Yeah. <laughs> I, I adios Jason Donovan's plates. Well, let's be honest, he'd adios mine. She may be the face I can't forget, the trace of pleasure or regret. So, we'll leave you with the final thought that happiness isn't happiness without a violin playing goat. I've been Kat. I've been Rich. And this has been Don't You Want Me. Summer sings, maybe the chill the autumn brings, maybe a hundred different things within the measure of a day. She-